0: 30-year-old Melissa McLaughlin remembers in painstaking detail when she first became sick. It was late October 1994, and the then-high school sophomore's crammed schedule reflected an active, passionate teenager—advanced placement courses, dance classes and competitions, the dance classes she taught to younger students, babysitting her siblings, volunteering— As a competitive dancer, she depended on her body to keep up with her rigorous schedule, and it always had. Everything was normal, she says. The weeks building up to the seismic shift that would turn the energetic teenager into a wheelchair-bound young woman living in constant pain were normal if hectic. She threw a Halloween party for the dance students she taught and sat for the PSATs. Her last normal day was spent with friends painting the walls of a homeless shelter. By the day's end, the whole group was sweaty, exhausted, and covered in paint. All of us were worn out, but I just never got better, McLaughlin says, describing how she went to sleep that night and woke up with a high fever and extreme fatigue and body aches. For the first few weeks, she slept 22 hours a day, and her doctors initially diagnosed her with mononucleosis. At this point, she, like her doctors and most people around her, figured with a few more weeks of rest she would be fine. That was how an acute condition like mono worked. You got it, you lived through it for a few weeks, and then it went away. Case closed. For many people, this is the trajectory we associate with illness. We are familiar with both ends of the spectrum, the short acute infections and injuries of everyday life and the terminal cases of cancer, heart disease, or stroke that have a finite end. Chronic illness is somewhere in the middle, confounding and unfamiliar. Weeks and months went by and McLaughlin's improvement was minimal at best. She still slept several hours each day, only dragging herself into class half-days, and often fainting when she was there. She could barely walk, but tried to attend dance class anyway, only to fall asleep on a pile of mats in the corner. Her blood tests came back abnormal, but not definitive, and as the months went on, a variety of diagnoses were handed to her. Chronic mono, Epstein-Barr virus, chronic fatigue syndrome, CFS, Chronic Fatigue and Immune Dysfunction Syndrome, CFIDS. For each, she was told there were no treatments, and the approach was reactive, treating symptoms and not causes. If she caught an infection, which was a regular occurrence, she was given antibiotics. If she had severe migraines, physicians prescribed migraine medication. When her extreme fatigue became even more overwhelming they told her to get more rest no one could explain how to make her better and just as frustratingly no one could explain to her what had made her sick in the first place while the details vary her physical manifestations and diagnostic roadblocks could stand in for the experience of millions of americans over the past few decades The history of CFS, CFIDS, and related nebulous conditions in this country is a controversial one. Even now, consensus over its name is lacking, and although many advocates of the disease fight for education and awareness, detractors remain. In encounters with the invisible, CFS patient Dorothy Wall calls the condition so blatantly unmedicalized— so subjective, another one of those so-called functional illnesses like irritable bowel syndrome that have always plagued medical practitioners, presenting symptoms with no known cause. From dissent over labels and diagnostic categories to research dollars and clinical trials, the combination of politics, science, and policy is a potent one. In All In My Head, Paula Kamen focuses on the other phenomenon at play, one as relevant and entrenched in attitudes today as it was in centuries past. If you cannot cure the patient, then blaming the patient often follows suit.